Ms. Graham was my high school senior seminar teacher, and she didn't just make you think outside the box. She burned the box to the ground, did a dance around the pyre, blew the ashes in your face, and said, what are you going to do without your box now? The first day of class, she didn't even introduce herself. She just launched into our first writing assignment. She said, who are you? What has shaped you? Who do you want to be? That's Sarah Montana. And this is the Depression Detox Show. Welcome back to the Depression Detox Show, where we share ideas and stories to help you live a happier life. I am your host, Malik Josephs. Happy Wednesday. I am grateful for you tuning in with me today with our newest featured speaker who is here to encourage us to do the work of inner healing. And she's going to share a a harrowing story of her past and how that affected her and how it ultimately shaped her to become who she is today. Here's Sarah Montana. Enjoy. When I was a teenager, I let the world tell me who I was. Teachers gave me good grades, so I must be pretty smart. People clapped when I sang, so I must be pretty talented. So when Youth group leaders and pastors told me that my purity was the key to my wholeness. I believed them. I believed that if I lost my virginity, as if it could fall between the couch cushions like a set of keys, (laughs) that I would be a chewed up piece of gum. That every time I had sex with a different person, I would give away pieces of myself that I could never get back. And my poor husband would someday be left with me, a half-eaten candy bar. So when a high school boyfriend took my virginity without asking me first, I went a little crazy. I wish I could tell you now that it was a cool kind of crazy, like set fire to his car and waiting to exhale crazy, or even a cute crazy, like Carrie Underwood keying your boyfriend's car crazy. But it wasn't. Did I break up with him? No. No, of course not. Instead, I did Olympic gold medal-worthy backflips of logic to convince myself that I loved him because I had to stay near my pieces. I stayed with that dude for three years. I withered away in silent shame all the way down to 90 pounds until I finally came clean on our living room couch to my 17-year-old brother, Jim, and our best friend, Joe. And they leapt up off the couch and were like, please break up with him, please break up with him. Dear God, break up with this guy. And it had not occurred to me that I could do that. So we made a plan. Tomorrow I would break up with him and tonight we would practice. Except three hours later, Jim found me curled up in a ball on my bedroom floor, heaving, sobbing. And he scooped me up like a baby and rocked me. And I just kept saying, How did I let this happen? I think I must be a bad person. 
I feel broken. I am so, so broken. And this 17-year-old boy sat me up, held me by the shoulders, and said, now you stop that. I don't ever want to hear you say anything like that again because you are the best person that I know. You save my life like every day in a hundred ways you don't even think count. And anything you say bad about yourself cuts into me as if you said it about me. So, so stop crying and um, I'm going to make you the best sandwich you've ever had in your life. <laughs> now food is my love language. So that sandwich was almost as good as that speech. And the boy could make a mean sandwich. But... That was the day that Jim taught me that words can save lives. Jim didn't see pieces when he looked at me. He saw all of me. Even when I was covered in bruises, he didn't think I should be thrown away like a bad piece of fruit. Somehow, my brother knew at 17 what most adults still don't. There are no pieces of me. I cannot be broken. I can be bruised, shaped, dented, sure but I am always whole. Even when I can't feel it or see it, the sun of my wholeness may be covered in clouds, but it is never gone. The promise of me radiates always. It is undeniable and indivisible so long as I am breathing. That speech of Jim's has been on a loop in my head for the past 12 years. <laughs> it's been with me when my inner critic rages out of control. It's picked me up off the floor when I failed spectacularly, and I have failed spectacularly. And it was with me two years after he first gave it, when the police told me that my mom and Jim had been killed in a botched burglary in our home. It was with me when the media swarmed, when the national news picked up the story and strangers everywhere started to whisper that my life was over. When the story broke, I was reluctantly cast in the role of victim for thousands of people that I didn't know. And I gotta tell you, that role has a lot of lines, but it's a real crappy part. I got emails from strangers who were very well-meaning, who kept telling me how terrible the rest of my life was going to be. A direct quote, try to have a Merry Christmas and a nice rest of your life, even though I know that's impossible. <laughs> when I would tell people face-to-face, -face, I would magically morph into Bigfoot. I mean, they'd heard about people like me on TV and in true crime docs, but they never thought they'd spot me in the wild. Everyone is trying to figure out who they are in their 20s, and that's already a really tall order. But it becomes especially steep when nobody can see you anymore. They just see what's happened to you. Thankfully, I was surrounded by a lot of people like Jim, people who loved me, who saw me, who knew me, who reassured me over and over again that this was a harrowing chapter, but it was not the end of my story. And thank God for them. I mean, thank God, because at 22 years old, it would have been so easy to believe the world when it kept telling me I was broken. It would have been really easy to buy into the look in people's eyes when they looked at me and saw nothing but debris. Would have been really easy to believe the college professor who, two weeks after they died, looked at me and said, oh my God, you are never going to be okay again. I mean, he was a teacher. I'm a good girl. I'm supposed to listen to my teachers. Thankfully, I'd had better teachers than him. I'd had Miss Graham. Miss Graham was my high school senior seminar teacher, and she didn't just make you think outside the box. She burned the box to the ground, did a dance around the pyre, blew the ashes in your face, and said, 
what are you going to do without your box now? The first day of class, she didn't even introduce herself. She just launched into our first writing assignment. She said, who are you? What has shaped you? Who do you want to be? Silence from a room of overachievers. That was a miracle. And then we launched into a litany of questions. We were like, uh, you mean like captain of the wrestling team? No. You mean like, where do I want to go to college? What's my GPA? What do I want to major in? No. Oh, you mean like, what do my parents do? She took off her glasses. <laughs> she rubbed her face. And then she very calmly walked us through the loss of her two sisters, her father, and her husband. The room started to spin, each of us drawn off balance by the magnetism of her trauma. With a wave of her hand, it stopped, and she said, but I'm the happiest person I know. These things have shaped me, they have changed me, but they are not who I am because they are not who I've decided to be here. So who are you? And at that moment, I tethered my heart to this perfect woman. And because of that, she was there encanting to me all through my 20s that this would shape me, but it could not break me. That I couldn't control what happened to me, but I alone got to decide what it meant. About a month ago, I went to this art installation in Brooklyn. It was very cool. And uh, <laughs> there were all these different rooms. And in one of them, it was a social experiment where you got paired up with a stranger and you had to make three minutes of very awkward eye contact. And then you asked each other a series of like scripted questions. My partner was this young woman. She was in her late teens, early 20s, very quiet. And she asked me, okay, what song means the most to you? I thought about lying. I thought about staying hidden. And I just said it. I was like, you know what? This is super lame, but it's Don't Stop Believing by Journey. <sighs> and it's because my brother Jim loved it and he was killed 10 years ago and we sang it at his funeral and now it's like this anthem for him that is everywhere. She tensed up as soon as I said that and I was like, oh, why did you share that? You were always doing the most. You don't have to be the most all the time. <sighs> And then she looked up at me and said, my sister was killed in a car crash. It's going to be a year in October. I said, I'm so sorry. You know, nobody talks about how hard it is to lose a sibling. She said, yeah, I know. She's like the only person who really saw me, you know? I said, yeah, I get that. And then she took a deep breath and she asked me, what's 10 years like? Like, is it going to hurt this much forever? And I said, absolutely not. And she lit up like a Christmas tree. And I realized that probably no one had said that to her yet. And so I laid it out for her. I gave her the speech that Miss Graham gave me in 12th grade. I gave her a gym speech from my bedroom floor, minus the sandwich, unfortunately. <laughs> I gathered every little breadcrumb that I had picked up on the way to finding my own wholeness and I laid them out on the table for her. And by the end of that exchange, we were two strangers who knew we would never see each other again, holding hands across a table in Brooklyn. That's why we have to heal our wounds. That's why we have to give ourselves permission to accept our wholeness and to reject the myth that we are broken or breakable. Because people who know how to do that, 
know how to help other people without constantly abandoning themselves. They actually know how to form a pack of whole people who know how to stand in their goodness, who know how to protect the weak and the vulnerable, who see people who are hurting and don't just walk by, but get down on the ground with them and say, hey, I know how much this hurts. I know that you're bleeding, but you are not broken and you cannot stay here because anything bad that happens to you happens to me too. So we're going to do this together. And if that doesn't work and they're still not getting up, you can try making them a sandwich. <laughs> Sandwiches can fix a lot of things. Thank you very much. Big thanks to Sarah Montana for stopping by. Her website is sarahmontana.com. Her Instagram is also Sarah Montana. I got this clip from YouTube. It is entitled, Sarah Montana, What Shapes You Can't Break You, The Power of Your Whole Story. And I'll have the links to her website as well as her Instagram. They will be in the show description below so you can go and check that out. All right, that is a wrap for me. As always, I appreciate you. I hope you have a, what word would encapsulate today's entire talk? I hope you have a triumphant rest of your day and I will see you back here tomorrow. So until then, stay strong. Later. Later.